hit me. From Studio A in Arcata, behind a redwood curtain, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Chats, the original comedy soundcast soundcast featuring interviews from comedy... Soundcasts. Comedians, comedians, soundcasters, and other showbiz folk. And here's your host from up the coast, practically unknown outside of comedy soundcast soundcasting, Tyson Tyson Saluton, estes me, Tyson Saner. I'll be your host for this final episode of Season 3 of Sakatash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast. If you've not been listening to the previous episodes, then you might be unaware that this is also the final episode before our hiatus, but more on that later. This also happens to be our 200th episode, and what a full episode I've got for you this time. It's a chats episode, and I'm joined by producer, director, Violence Prevention Specialist, Friend of Suckertash, and one half of the team that hosts Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, Phil Larness. Mr. Larness, along with Dean Hagland of The X-Files and The Lone Gunman, have been creating and publishing episodes of Chill Pack Hollywood Hour since 2007. They've always been supportive of Suckertash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, which itself has been around for your listening pleasure since 2011. Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, to me at least, has always seemed like a big brother of sorts to Suckertash. Not in any insidious way, of course. There used to be a lot more crossover between Suckatash and Chillpack in those early days. In addition to my chat with Mr. Larness, I've received some special audio sent in by a few Soundcaster supporters of Suckatash, whose identities I will keep a surprise for now. There's at least one surprise I don't even want to tease at the beginning here. Suffice to say, it's a very pleasant surprise for listeners and this host alike. All will become clear eventually. Finally, I'll mention that after my discussion with Phil Larness, I've got a bonus chat featuring none other than original Suckatash host and current executive producer of Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, Mark Hirshon, who discusses the past and the future of the program with me and sends us off in style, or something like that. No, no, I like that. In style. Let's begin this send-off extravaganza, shall we? Before we begin, I wanted to share some news with you regarding our most frequent contributor and friend of the show, Raging Moderate Will Durst. As listeners of Suckatash know, Mr. Durst suffered a stroke in October of 2019. I've been holding on to the remaining burst of Durst I received and spreading them out over time so as to have at least one in every episode until the hiatus. Because somehow it doesn't quite feel like an episode of Suckatash the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast without a burst of Durst, so I have one for you. It's from September 29th, 2019. Full disclosure, I goofed. I'm not sure how this happened, but this final burst of Durst I have for you isn't exactly the last one I received. It is, in fact, the second to last one. The actual last one I received was from our penultimate episode, 199. Again, I don't know how I managed to skip this one. My apologies to Mr. Durst and a continued sentiment of get well soon to him from myself and everyone here at Succotash. So now... From September 29th of 2019, Blow That Whistle, in which our intrepid correspondent makes a few conjectures about what the hell is going on. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the rampant White House craziness after a whistleblower claimed Donald Trump attempted to shake down a foreign leader to interfere on his behalf in the next election, which is so illegal even Vladimir Putin was impressed. 
Our president canceled an arms shipment that Ukraine was counting on to hold off Russia and also threatened to keep our vice president from making a state visit unless Vladimir Zelensky played ball by investigating Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Keeping Mike Pence from coming to your country doesn't sound very menacing. More like a reward. Supposedly, records of this call were diverted to a super-secret server that stores other calls and documents that make the president look bad. So it must be one hell of a server. Maybe a warehouse in Bethesda. The president responded by saying the whistleblower was like a spy, and in the old days, they knew how to deal with spies. Suggesting we execute witnesses to his crimes. Isn't that an impeachable offense? He's stacking them up like 747 circling O'Hare after a blizzard the day before Thanksgiving. And we all know how the rest of this is going to play out. He'll deny anything happened, which might be tough this time around since he already admitted it. Next, he'll say that even if he did it, there's nothing illegal about it. Then he'll attack the accuser and call it a partisan witch hunt and another example of a larger conspiracy against him, the best president ever. And during all these predictable machinations, he'll also try to distract us from focusing on it. Maybe finally release his tax records or leak photos from the night he spent with Stormy Daniels or start a war. But we all know what it'll boil down to. He'll blame Hillary. For Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, soundcast, I'm Will Durst. And you can send your Get Well cards to P.O. Box 225126, San Francisco, USA, 94122. You can also email him at durst.will at com. That is D-U-R-S-T dot W-I-L-L at Y-A-H-O-O dot com. You can also reach out to him on Twitter. That is at Will Durst, at symbol and W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T. There's a Will Durst fan page on Facebook. And, of course, you can go to willdurst.com to find the Will Durst Journal, which is comedy for people who read or know someone who does. Right? Right. And now here's part one of my interview with Phil Lernus. The recording date was March 11th, 2020, for context. And we begin with an unfortunate COVID-19 update. Breaking news coverage of the end of the world and uh, uh, the end of the world. What is uh, Biden the nomination? I don't know. Just the uh, you know every minute. I mean, Tom Hanks says the coronavirus for crying out loud. Does he? Yeah. Oh no, I hadn't heard that. And the only reason he's going to survive is because he's in Australia, where they actually have tests. Well, good thing for that then. Yeah. So, um, how are you this evening, sir? I'm good. I just got back uh, from all things my uh, my neighborhood council health and public safety meeting, which oh. wasn't supposed to have anything to do with the coronavirus. Uh, just you know, normal stuff. Ironically. Normal keeping this. Yeah, normal. It, just a normal meeting about keeping the streets safe for democracy. But uh, healthy and safe for democracy. Exactly. I like that with, as a concept. Uh, you know, it's what Dean and I have been doing through podcasting and. Through the use of our fists. Yes. Uh, so, podcasting, since, have, have you, has Chillback been going since 2007? It has been. I mean, I, we missed a week uh, at one point when we had like catastrophic uh, technical failure, maybe about a year ago. Oh, wow. But, uh, but with the exception of that, yeah, it's been going uh, for 
for almost 13 years, May of 2007. May. And we uh, started season two of the show 16 weeks ago. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been seeing it listed in the, uh, the app that I use to listen to uh, podcasts. Uh, or soundcast, as we call them here, uh, as season two. Uh, yeah, I saw yeah. them come up, and I was like... Yeah, we we decided to do that when uh, we were invited to join the good folks at Odyssey Radio, Odyssey Dare to Wonder. And uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, we, uh, we converted it to a one-hour, once-a-week radio show with commercial breaks and whatnot, and, uh, and then, of course, available uh, at the same time on iHeartRadio. And then available a few hours thereafter in podcast form. But we thought since we were making that move and changing the format slightly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, gone were the days of the hour in Chill Pack Hollywood hour being 80 minutes long. Right. Um, why not? Uh, I don't know. Why not spruce it up a little bit and declare it the beginning of season two after, I think, 652 episodes? That, uh, it's a fantastic idea and funny. So, of course. <laughs> um, how how long though? I'll let you decide. How long should season two go though? Wow. So, how long was the first one again? Six hundred and what? How many episodes? Six hundred and fifty-two episodes. Six hundred and fifty-two. Yeah. So, I was in my thirties when season one began. And I was in my 50s when season two began. Wow. Let's see. In uh, 2007, I think I was also in my 30s, I would have to say. So, see, we we, we, we watched each other grow up through the magic of podcasting. <laughs> yes. We listened to each other grow up. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, that's another thing with, with language as far as, like, uh, talking uh, about about podcasting and trying to... Like I, when people announce they're going to have things on their show, and I've actually mentioned this on Succotash, I, I feel like uh, the language is all wrong. It's outdated. It should be called a tell because it's all hearing uh, oriented. And also, I, I do. St- I have started saying I listen forward to it. But oh, very nice. But you do look forward to it with your inner uh, eye. Your third eye, your your sense of greater awareness, you do look forward to it because you're looking forward to the holistic experience. I see myself sitting comfortably in my favorite chair with my favorite hearing apparatus on with a with a glass of cognac and my beloved dog by my side. Very nice. And uh, and Eddie Pepitone as the spirit animal. Eddie Pepitone. That's a good Reference, if anybody's playing Tyson Saner bingo at home, they just won, I think. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine that's a thing. Um, yeah, I have, well, I won't mention, uh, no, see, now that doesn't work as a joke because I have to mention Todd Glass if I'm going to uh, help people fill out their bingo cards. Uh, they can't fill out the space that says Tyson decided to say nothing unless they made one. Um, so it's um, it's really nice uh, to talk to you again it's been uh, about a year or so i'd say yeah i don't quite remember the last time i know that it was dean and i joining you uh it was shortly shortly after you took over the captain's chair oh yes yeah that was yeah it wasn't that long afterwards certainly um uh it's probably uh, probably 2018 i'm gonna say but i could be wrong see now the lady killer is listed as having come out in 2017 and that's what we talked about but i think it was a little after that 
It was after that. Uh, 2017, you know, the way they do the release dates is, I think, the first festival exposure, not the first public release. Okay. I mean, I guess a, I guess a festival is a public release because the public can buy tickets to it. But you know what I mean? It's not been distributed for any co- sort of wide consumption. Mm-hmm. And that was, and that was end of 2018. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's probably when we, when we last spoke. Um, since then, I uh, discovered that I enjoy Bollywood. <laughs> well, I, how could how could you not? You do have two eyes and a heart. And a heart, certainly. I like, uh, actually, specifically, I should say, I really enjoy the Masala film, which is uh, the ones with musical numbers in them. Specifically. Oh, is that, that's what they, uh, oh, that's what that references. Okay, that's good to know. What? Oh, did I, it was a, uh, something else that... No. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that's how you describe the ones with the musical numbers of the Masala films. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's a genre. Apparently, it started in 1973, uh, specifically. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the film was, but uh, it's on YouTube, and I watched a little bit of it. Uh, and it turned out that uh, it had an actor who was in the first uh, Masala film I ever saw, uh, 2018's Thugs of Hindustan, which I recommend to anybody with ears. And... Uh, he, Amir Khan, he was in it as a as a child, as like a nine-year-old or something. He's a child actor. So it's like, oh my gosh, there he is. <laughs> and then, well, yeah, he he's great. I mean... Yeah, he is, he's pretty fun. And have you seen uh, very many Bollywood films or Masala films? I have not. And uh, yet, if we spend the next 50 minutes or so with you regaling me uh, with their with their joys and their delights... Then we could actually, because of my participation, we could name this the Chilpak Bollywood Hour. Oh yeah, yeah certainly. I, I I don't know if uh, well I might be able to do that. I can tell you I have enjoyed the ones I have seen so far, and uh, I haven't seen that many. I, I've certainly seen far less than I had intended to once I saw my first one and enjoyed it. But I guess that's. Do you know it's interesting? Uh, were you a fan of uh, Hong Kong? cinema perhaps back in the 90s like the shaw brothers and things uh a little bit after that i'm thinking more shoy hark uh more uh oh. you know Jack, jackie chan more stephen chow i definitely uh, like jackie chan uh i've seen some of his really early work i actually right now i have uh meals on no sorry wheels on meals in my queue I oh haven't sure se- haven't seen it yet but uh yeah I, yeah. I, well, I, I asked because the people that turned me on to Hong Kong films and I was really an avid follower of the Hong Kong cinema scene mm-hmm. in the early 90s. Uh, there were actual theaters in, you know, movie theaters in in Chinese neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh, in Los in greater Los Angeles where we could see day and date uh, these these films from Hong Kong. Nice. Uh, uh, you know, the, the day they were opening there on the big screen projected on 35 millimeter. Oh, wow. And it was a great time because it was exciting, exciting uh, cinema and new cinematic voices like John Woo. Oh, yes. Uh, exploding onto the scene. But why I bring that up is because the people that turned me on to that all then about a decade later became big devotees of Bollywood cinema. Really? So it's Shri Hark. Yes, I have seen, uh, I'm going to say two or three. Uh, Did he do the live action adaptation of Wicked City? 
Oh, that that rings a bell. That certainly rings a bell. Um, the one that really turned me on to him and he studied. Boy, if I'm not mistaken, he might have studied in Texas. Hmm. He went to school in Texas and then went back there. Um, but uh, Peking Opera Blues hmm. in, in around 1986. Uh, oh, my goodness. That's a great, great film. But I, I you know, I could rattle off so many uh, titles. Uh, Iron Monkey, Dragon Inn, uh, hmm. so many, so many great ones. And I mean, there was no more exciting you know, it, I, it, it reminded me of what it must have been like to be a cineast, uh, in the, in the 1960s, in oh. the late 50s and 60s. And I was thinking about this again this week when Dean and I were recording a remembrance of Max von Sydow. Oh. And, and we were talking about these kind of careers that really can't exist. These actors that have left behind legacies that can never be matched. Because the world just isn't the same anymore. Um, and, and these are people like Max von Sydow in Sweden, mm-hmm. who, who rises to international prominence because of his collaboration with this great filmmaker, Ingmar Bergman. He becomes the face of cinema in Sweden, but because of that is in demand by great filmmakers all over the world, including Hollywood. I mean, it's only eight years after uh, The Seventh Seal where he's playing Jesus for no lesser a director than George Stevens in The Greatest Story Ever Told. And there was never more a Hollywood filmmaker than George Stevens. And you had people like Marcello Mastriani in Italy, the face of Italian cinema, but he would be invited the world over again, including Hollywood, to star in big movies. Huh. And uh, uh, Toshiro Mifune in in Japan with oh, Kurosawa. Sure. So the '90s gave me a taste of what that must have been like when you had Chow Yun Fat mm. in these John Woo movies. And sure enough, he would make it around the world as the face of Hong Kong cinema but then truly one of the true faces of international cinema. Absolutely, and yeah. it's, it's always exciting to get to, uh, I mean, if you really love film, it's, it's exciting to get to be a part of that in some way. I think, um, I think hard boiled was probably my favorite John Woo film that I've seen. And that uh, John, John, you Woo plus Chow Yun Fat, at least I do like other John Woo. I do like his American movies, not all of them, but I do like, um, so there was the killer and yes. then there was hard world and there was of course better tomorrow oh, yes. and, and, and all of these. But, um, I'm curious, did you see hard boiled or did. the killer first? Oh, I saw, I did see the killer first. I did enjoy that a great deal, but I liked hard boiled more for some reason. I, uh, it's more, it's more slick. It's more polished, but I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I can't, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I stay when I fall in love. I stay in love, Tyson, and uh, of course, you know it was it was love at first sight with uh, the killer. So I just uh, have, that's just one of the coolest opening sequences in the, in in a film uh, in Hard Boiled, where it uh, you know it's doing the credits, so it'll be like credit, and then it shows a, a scene of you know there's some movement, there's business happening, and then it goes back to the credit, and then, you know it's cutting back and forth, and as it's cutting back and forth, it's like. Um, Action! You see the glass. Uh, next cut. Tequila's going into the glass. Next cut. Soda's going in. Next cut. Uh, napkin goes over the top of it, and then I think in the next cut it slams, 
and he's doing it. It goes up and he does a, the fizzy tequila shot. It's the first time you see his face. He drops the glass. And as he's wiping his mouth, he blows cigarette smoke out of his mouth because he had taken an unseen hit off a cigarette. Then picks up a saxophone or some other wind instrument that maybe right, right, starts playing. Of course. Playing it. Of course. <laughs> it's just, oh my god, I love this movie already. It can't get better than this. And uh, you know, it, it what what it also reminds me is how much fun people would have with opening title sequences. Something that we often just eschew altogether oh. now. Oh, yeah. It's strange that. Um, well, I did find that uh, John Woo used uh, pretty good opening stuff in uh, pretty good uh, in uh, his, I think it was his first American film, Hard Target with uh, John claude Van Damme, one of the best, uh, one of the better or best John claude Van Damme films, in my opinion. Uh, with uh, the, there was a chase in the beginning of that, and it you know showed the credits and showed part of the, the chase, and also his uh, signature style of <laughs> close uh, close-ups of of objects moving very fast and whatnot, and running and push-ins and things. It was pretty cool. Um, who could who could have imagined that both of their career trajectories would end up taking them right back to Hong Kong? And, That's uh, odd. And uh, making including Wilford. Van Damme. Oh, I yeah. mean Van Damme. Yeah, Certainly. it's so strange. Making Wilford Brimley an action hero in that—that that was pretty cool. The wait was over at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, we need we need Wilford Brimley as a Cajun on horseback with with uh, shooting exploding arrows, and, <laughs> and we finally got it. And uh, so that's, that's, that's good. So yeah, um, Thugs of Hindustan, that's the one I recommend. So uh, <laughs> if you ever do get around to seeing it, I, I would recommend that you see it in Hindi with the English subtitles. Um, uh, rather than the uh, two other language versions that are available, because uh, there's a version in Tamil and a version in Telugu, I think it's pronounced, and um, I haven't seen the other language versions, but I know that they are speaking Hindi, and I don't mind reading subtitles, but if I'm also reading subtitles and seeing a lip sync is off, it tends to, I think, it boggle my brain. So I'd rather watch them speak their language <laughs> with the with the lip sync there and read the subtitles. Well, you are you are going uh, deep cut, as we say at this point. Um, at what point? And I, I, I guess I did know this. I guess uh, somebody had uh, uh, told me. But at what point do you know that they started going sync sound? Because it's a fairly recent phenomenon. What's that? In in Bollywood films, um, for for them to have been shot sync sound in any language oh. is fairly recent. Uh, when I was there in, oh, let's call it 2000 and just agree – Okay. To disagree if I'm wrong. Um, but right around 2000, because uh, I was doing the behind the scenes documentary of a movie that was an American movie that was being shot there. Um, it was an American movie about uh, hijacked airliners being flown into the world's tallest skyscrapers uh, by terrorists. Oh, my. Um, and this movie was completed. And delivered on September 10th, 2001. Oh, my God. I think I've heard of this film. And, and uh, the next and, – and the director, Bob Mazurowski, uh, probably most famous for producing Tombstone, the Kurt Russell 
uh, Val Kilmer telling of uh, the gunfight at the OK Corral. Mm-hmm. He um, he delivered the movie and then flew to Eastern Europe where he was going to start shooting his next movie. And he arrived at his hotel in Eastern Europe on the day of, of September 11th, went into his hotel, couldn't understand the language that m- people were speaking. But he demanded to speak to the owner of the hotel because he wanted to know how they had gotten a hold of a copy of his movie. Oh, yes. Because it was up on the TV screens. Wow. And um, so anyway, uh, flashback a little bit, and I'm there putting together the behind-the-scenes document, or what I think is going to be the behind-the-scenes documentary. That ended up changing. I ended up making an elaborate documentary about how this whole issue of 9-11 was in the zeitgeist from Tom Clancy books to The Lone Gunman to this film to try honestly to just salvage this movie for release because they were desperate, the distribution company, to make any money back off of it. Um, and uh, I don't think they did, but my documentary ended up winning a lot of awards. So that's not nothing, as the kids say. Uh, anyway, but back when I just thought I was doing the typical, you know, dog and pony uh, show of these behind the scenes that were, you know, required on this new medium of DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fascinated by the one element that I knew they would let me depict, uh, because it had to be very, you know, kind of puff pieces, these, but, uh, the differences between filmmaking in Hollywood versus in India. And that was the thing. Here's a movie about American hijacked airliners. Where would you shoot it? But, Ramoji Film City, Hyderabad, India. Um, and uh, so a few things that were fascinating, Tyson. Uh, mm-hmm. One was these enormous sound stages, the size of which, you know, I've been to some of these research facilities where they're developing stealth aircraft and those mm-hmm. enormous hangars. Mm-hmm. Those enormous hangars were nothing in comparison to these sound stages. Wow. And they might have a hundred productions going at the same time. And they could do it because none of them were shooting sync sound. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah that makes complete sense. You wouldn't because you would get a horrible uh, or amazing, depending on what your intent was. Echo, uh, otherwise, I guess, uh, in one of those facilities. You know, and there's nothing, and that's not to say that the the work wasn't fantastic. I mean, uh, you, you know, even purists sometimes I'll caution purists who will. Uh, would wonder, for example, why I would advocate that the first time someone sees eight and a half, mm. uh, Fellini, Fellini's eight and a half, I advocate that they watch the dubbed version, not the subtitle version. Oh. And purists will get outraged. That's interesting. But here's the, but here's the thing. That movie was not shot in sync sound. And Fellini wrote the script for each of the languages because he knew so many languages. Huh. And he directed each of the recording sessions in those languages and the cast itself was international all the stars came from different countries so so what subtitle is it that you're supposed to be reading but the reason that i really said it for a movie like that was because you know what he's conveying visually the psychology that's being conveyed visually Mm -hmm. if you are spending time reading it you are missing things that really will allow 
that movie to resonate on the level of dreams, which is where it needs to. Um, but, but, but anyway, so the, the great technicians, great filmmakers, just because they weren't working in, in sync sound is not a knock. Heck, they had a more thriving film business than we did and do. And in order to get the number of movie may, may movies made to, to satisfy demand, that's how they had to do it. That, that's fascinating. I'm just thinking about the, uh, I mean, because the history of Indian, Indian cinema apparently goes back uh, almost farther than Americans. No, I guess not. I mean, it's right around since what, Edison or something. But, um, but like a long time, there's like films uh, that are, uh, some of them are available on Amazon Prime that I've been thinking of uh, looking at just, you know, out of, out of curiosity. There's the filmmaker, uh, what's his name? Sajit Ray? Is that what I'm thinking? Yeah, yeah. Sajit, oh, I can't do the first name. But Rai, I guess it's pronounced Rai. Is it R-A-Y? No, it's R-A-Y. You said it the way that we, that I would, and I always heard it. But I think we were just getting the pronunciation wrong. But but the Apu trilogy, Life of Apu and World of Apu, you know, those are amazing movies okay so these will probably go on my list along with um eight and a half because i've been meaning to see that movie and my dad has a copy of it because he likes fellini movies so uh i should definitely uh, get around plus i need to see knights and knights of uh kabiria knights of kabiria that is one of the the most wonderful female performances his wife julieta messina uh, extraordinary. I mean, just to be, I'm not going to lie. Uh, one of the reasons I fell in love with my wife is because there's a little bit of a Julieta Messina thing going on with her. Um, it's just one of the most radiant performances and the ending just, uh, grabs you by the heart and doesn't let go. Cherished friends, Bill Haywatt here with a special edition of Trouser from Henderson's Pants in honor of the 200th episode of Suckatash. It's their bicentennial pants. And yes, these have been repurposed from a forgotten warehouse full of American bicentennial pants from 1976 when the United States was celebrating their 200th birthday. Oh, it's the perfect opportunity for old man Henderson to recoup the company's losses from way back then and celebrate this milestone episode of the world's only comedy soundcast soundcast. Men and women both can show up at your neighborhood succotash listening party decked out in a pair of these spiffy unisex red, white, and blue striped Liberty Bell bottom denim beauties. To honor the show, the faces of host Tyson Sainer, engineer producer Joe Paulino, executive producer Mark Hershon, and even me, yours truly Bill Haywatt, have been heat transferred onto the buttock region of every pair. Originally designed for Gerald Ford, the color guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Solderer, and Elton John, Henderson's Bicentennial Pants are available for as long as Succotash keeps dropping those episodes. That's Henderson's, makers of mediocre menswear, especially the bottom parts, since 2011. And now back to Succotash. And now back to Succotash. And now back to Succotash. Succotash. I've got this, Joe. I can get this right. Now back to Succotash. Yes, that was a Henderson's Pants advertisement created especially for this, our 200th episode. And I just wanted to take a moment before resuming my chat with Mr. Lernis to thank Bill Haywatt, 
Mark Hershon, and Joel Paulino for mentioning me in that advertisement. I've been hearing and enjoying Henderson's Pants commercials since well before I began hosting duties here on Succotash, the company Soundcast, Soundcast. Uh, heck, before I even began contributing to the show by sending in clips regularly. Some of my favorite features of Succotash, the company Soundcast, Soundcast episodes over the years has been listening to Henderson's Pants ads. What can I say? Comedically, I have a soft spot for mock advertisements. It's kind of a thing with me. So again, thank you for including me in the show and creating a great piece of metafiction that I am now part of. It's truly an awesome feeling. And now, let's continue listening to my interview with producer Phil Lairness of Chillback Hollywood Hour as we dive a bit further into the cinema of the world, amongst other topics. So I have a couple other fun stories about India, about what I witnessed, if you, if you want me to share, uh, that you might find interesting, and, and uh, you can edit them out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but how often do I get to share these things? Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I witnessed, like uh, when there was, you know, turbulence in the plane or the plane was being brought down, you know, they had these the, – the plane set on a, on a gimbal – and so it would move, right? And literally the set would go up and down, like the Starship Enterprise set, right? Wow, but yeah. but unlike here, where we throw money at things and we have hydraulics oh. and all of this, there, their greatest resource is people. So instead of having the gimbal run on hydraulics that costs a lot of money, they have 150 crew people just shaking the set. Oh, my gosh. It's like uh, uh, like Fitzgeraldo. It's uh, it's it's quite eye opening, and uh, the size of these crews, and of course, you know the the terrifying thing being paid nothing. I mean the the water, the bottled water that the American crew was drinking cost more per day than the Indian crew itself cost. Wow. Um, you know, it's just these things are so so eye opening, but. Um, <laughs> But the uh, my friend Tucker Smallwood tells a story about this because this is how I met him mm-hmm. was uh, on this film. But he talked about how at a certain time every day, attracted by the lights, the soundstage would be full of these flying bugs. Oh, my. And then they would send in these helicopters to spray the st- soundstage with something that was probably incredibly toxic, oh, but it would kill off all the bugs. And then we get back to work in the evening. But one of the things you never expect to hear on a set in a soundstage is cut, cut, Cobra on set, Cobra <laughs> on set. Did he say Cobra on set? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a 20 foot, Long brown cobra, one drop of venom kills 80 people. Yeah. Uh, bring in cobra man, cobra man, come to set. And there was a guy standing by for just such an eventuality. He comes in and he charms the cobra and takes it away and we get back to work. I mean, it's, wow. it's, uh, but you know, and, and why those things stand out is because the, the truth is the language of making movies is so similar from country to country throughout history and it is such an international language not only movies itself but making movies that you really could forget uh that you didn't speak the same language as the people you're working next to because to get the work done you did Uh, yeah i was the the, uh, terminology uh 
I, uh, I guess, I guess it's very similar to, uh, in some ways, music and how like, um, there's a, uh, uni- a unity, <laughs> uh, in music and music theory and being able to say, Hey, I need you to dot, dot, dot. And the person understands pretty much immediately if they, if they study music, uh, which I need to study more of myself, but, but uh, like, you know, if they, like just starting with basic things, like I need you to play a C chord. It seems like, you know, pedestrian, but uh, if, if a person doesn't know what a C is, then you have to be like, well, okay, well, it's a, you know, you got to play a C, E, and a G, and then do that all at once or however you like, and then, then we can move to the next chord. <laughs> That's right. But yeah. Uh, the one the one thing that was really funny that I uh, I'll share with you and then we'll we'll leave my my reminiscences of days gone by behind. But uh, as I mentioned, these the film set largely on these airliners and they're American airliners. And uh, here's something that uh, they didn't think about. Sure, they brought their stars, their actors from America, uh-huh. but uh, something that you need to sell. The reality of a plane flight is uh, passengers, and these yes. are American flights, like from Chicago to New York. Hmm. A little weird that they're all populated by Indian people. Hmm. Uh, so yeah. the the call went out through the entire country for any European tourist anyone you know come and be a part of this movie to do it and it and it wasn't working so what they ended up having to do and no one will i think uh ever would ever verify this on camera Uh but between you and me what they had to do was they went to all the coastal towns because a lot of people don't know but surfing is great in a lot of parts of india and so surfers from all over the world will come there and uh so they would go there to get these surfers from around the world. Hey, will you come and will their friends and will their family, will you come and be in the movie? And they offered the money and no, we don't need the money. We're here to surf. So instead, <laughs> instead they offered them drugs. Oh, perfect. And that's how they got everybody. That's funny. So, yeah. so I'm not, so I, I'm not saying that the <laughs> passengers on the plane really convey a lot of terror they're way too blissed out <laughs> <laughs> i'm just trying to imagine that which uh, which one is this again oh boy i don't know now i mean i've mentioned the director i've mentioned the year i've mentioned one of the actors i think people can probably figure it out and uh and and I mean, not even to be too precious, but who knows what name it finally was released under. It had so many names uh, because, you know, they were trying to salvage this thing. Uh, it's not a bad little movie, actually. All things considered, it's really not. It had a wonderful hero performance and a wonderful villain performance. And it was the first big thing from Kristana Loken, who oh. then became uh, the Terminator in, was it T3, I think? Yeah, uh, T3, the... Rise of the Machines. Yes. Yeah. Also referred uh, to as a Terminatrix, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, I've been referring to myself as that, but I, I guess I'm, I'm so confused by the, all the gender terms these days, Tyson. I don't know. There's a I few. Know. There's a few new pronouns out there, is my understanding. I really am. I mean, I, I believe in calling people what they want to be called. Certainly. You know, whatever, whatever name anybody wants to go by. 
you know, uh, however you want to spell it, that's fine. I really want to do that. And I just, uh, I can't believe that I'm, I, I'm the age that I am now, you know, 51 years old. Mm -hmm. And, and I so often am like nervous. Like, I don't know what the pronoun is. I don't know. And so I often find myself asking people, what am I supposed to say? Sure. Yeah. And it's, Uh, you're supposed to, I guess I've heard you're supposed to say, what is, you know, uh, what is your preferred pronoun? Um, yeah, which I guess, you know, there's probably appropriate, uh, more appropriate, um, scenarios in which to ask that than others. I suppose it's not necessarily the first thing you would say when you meet somebody, but if you were in a work environment, perhaps it would be, and it'd be like, uh, you know, and since we're working together, what is your preferred pronoun? If you don't mind my asking, it could also be a useful question on a first date. Sure. Oh yeah, and then you know, Z Zin Zer, you know, one of those, and it's like I don't know. Well, you avoid you avoid some some maybe surprises down the road if you ask. Yeah, it's a good point. One one might. Hey, hey, this is it's your show. Uh I mean, I guess I shouldn't be asking you questions, but uh, (laughs) have have you been have you been watching dispatches from elsewhere? Dispatches from elsewhere. That sounds familiar. I'm going to say no, but what is that? Uh, Is it a is the series? There, is it, um, yeah, there's been three episodes thus far. They say it'll be an anthology series, which would mean that there would be more, more seasons and they would change it up. But there's been three episodes of this season on AMC. It uh, airs after Better Call Saul. Jason Siegel created it and is okay. one of the four stars, along with Eve Lindley, Sally Field, and Andre Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And it's about, and it's based on a documentary Ooh. from 2013 called The Institute, which was about a real life happening Ooh. that took place in San Francisco from 2008 to 2011, where people found themselves immersed in a virtual alternative reality. And, uh, it, it kind of, uh, the best way I can sort of describe it, though it doesn't really do it justice, is it's a live action role playing game where you are the best, highest form of yourself, uh, meets uh, the coolest scavenger hunt ever made. Like and, a, uh, like an alternate it, reality game kind of thing? Or? Yeah. I, it was designed by an artist and he had so many people in the city. Uh, banker, bankers, shop owners, architects, security people, so many people in on this. Um, and at one point it was thousands of people playing this game. And the whole idea of it was he wanted to inspire people to see the magic beneath the ordinary. And anyway, there was a, a, the, all the documentation, if you can call it that, that really exists about this mm-hmm. is this one documentary. This and is, wow. And Jason Siegel is basing this series on it. And the reason I brought this whole sordid subject up is because the lead performance by Eve Lindley, a trans actor or trans actress. I think actor is a, is a neutral term. Uh, neutral. So trans actor, a, a, a trans actor, Eve Lindley, playing a, a, a trans person mm-hmm. in the show, though it wasn't written for a trans person. It's just that mm-hmm. uh, Eve Lindley, who I think goes by she, uh, uh, knocked their socks off in the audition. And the moment she appears on screen, I swear to God, you fall in love with her. Her performance is so good. In fact, you know, I mentioned Andre Benjamin, Sally Field, mm-hmm. Jason Siegel. 
These are not slouches. These are very talented people. And they're delightful in this. Um, they all play uh, awkward and in their own way self-conscious characters. But the performances themselves are somewhat self-conscious. Okay. Whereas, whereas the performance by Eve Lindley as this self-conscious young trans woman mm-hmm. is utterly unselfconscious. It's so natural and so true. It's one of the best performances I've seen on television in a long time. So transmissions from elsewhere. Is this on uh, Hulu by any chance? No, it's on AMC. It's only on AMC. Okay. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe on Hulu. I don't know how Hulu works. I guess you can on Hulu. You can find other networks programming, you can, right? You can, yeah. Some yeah. of it. You okay. Can. Uh, like I, so maybe. I get most of my. Uh, I don't have live TV, so I watch mostly things on demand. Uh, Amazon Prime, Hulu. Um, just added Disney Plus not that long ago. Well, so when I said no, Tyson, that was a, a soft maybe. On on which. No, on which I, I forgot. No when I which. when I when I said no, it's not on Hulu. Oh, I got you. Okay, it, it, it was a soft, a soft maybe, maybe because I I don't I don't know of what I I don't know of what I'm speaking. They have FX content on uh, Hulu. I, I uh, there's uh, in fact um, in an somewhat speaking of or recalling uh, Fellini's Eight and a Half in a very strange uh, manner. Uh, I just not that long ago enjoyed the uh, limited run series. I guess it is uh, Fosse Verdon. Ah, yes. I did not see it, but I love both those people. I, I love, uh, I mean, in real life and the actors. I love all those people. So I didn't know that uh, Bob Fosse uh, was a, a Fellini fan, um, and and probably because I had seen everything he. <laughs> Yes, he had done, and uh, and now that I I had to actually see well, this is what I've seen. I had seen Cabaret years ago, and I still need to revisit it. And then more recently, I saw All That Jazz, which is basically eight and a half, as far as I know. Yes, oh. yeah, that the cat's out of the bag when you've seen All That Jazz. But uh, oh. even Cabaret, even the movie Cabaret, attempts certain kind of Fellini esque qualities sure. and, um, then, and then there's uh the first uh, sweet charity which was basically a musical adaptation of knights of cabiria <laughs> it, it was indeed it was indeed it, it wasn't basically any basically about it it was credited in fact uh fellini was there uh, in in on broadway with julietta messina on opening night uh when it played yeah well, it was it a big been, deal must have been something um I, I misspoke. Actually, well, I have seen I've seen Lenny many, many times. I actually because uh, I was a Dustin Hoffman fan and I had a copy of Lenny, so I watched that. Oh well, now this is going to be a bone of contention because <laughs> I, you know, Dean, Dean. If only Dean were here, then we could we could team up on you and uh-huh. he could back me up with this. Okay. Um, uh, I've yet to see an actor believably play a stand-up comic. Oh sure. Um, interesting. Oh, and that includes, and that includes Dustin Hoffman in, in Lenny. It's not that it's a bad performance. I don't mean that because uh-huh. it's, it's, it's not obviously a concert film, but it is those performance pieces where the movie stops working for me, where I see Dustin Hoffman acting. Interesting. Well, what about, uh, Tom Hanks and Punchline? Oh my goodness. <laughs> what about Tom Hanks and Punchline? I, it's one of my favorite performances of his, and at least as far as, uh, I mean, he looked I mean, sure. 
I mean, sure, it's sad. Sure, it's sad that he has coronavirus, but he did make me sit through Punchline. I, I thought his meltdown on stage was pretty great. Uh, in that, I tend to like moments like that when people have meltdowns, uh, and, and well, or pretending to, I should say. And real meltdowns are uh, rarely. Uh, I don't want to say they're not entertaining because they they can be, but I mean, uh, it's I don't I don't tend to root for somebody to have a meltdown, but I do enjoy seeing them portrayed. Um. And uh, he had a really good one in that movie, so I don't know. Um, I, 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 I know that people hate that. Was that was great. I was, gl- I was glad that you had the disclaimer that you don't root on people to have meltdowns. I definitely you're not. No. Yeah, you're, yeah I'm, I'm not rooting for it, but I, but I, I will enjoy it. I, w- I will enjoy seeing it portrayed. <laughs> I certainly, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've actually started going to see live stand-up more often uh, a couple of years ago before I had my... Uh, child and uh, the there's some really nice people locally and uh, I think the first one of the first couple times that I visited the open mic uh, there was a guy who went up and he, he didn't do as well as he I guess he felt that he could have and I suppose it feels different up there um, well I, I know it does because I've been up there at least twice but uh, which is not a lot but I I laughed at his stuff and he was you know he, he wasn't didn't feel great afterwards, and I said that was that was funny. I I definitely laughed at, at the stuff, you know, I, some good jokes he had there. And I was like, oh, thank you, because you know, and some people don't even like to hear that that was funny afterwards. They're, they're just too caught up with the how how horrible it felt to bomb, which is what they felt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, what am I trying to say? Um, I don't think anyone being told ever, whether they're a stand up comic or a comedy writer or anything, I don't think anyone ever being told, Hey, that was funny mm-hmm. is satisfying. Yeah. You either get a laugh or you don't, you know, uh, and Sad. you either hear the laughs or you don't. And, um, you know, it was very strange. Uh, I went to see an improv show the other night and uh, I heard I, uh, the team was getting their notes from their director after the show uh-huh. and the director. And I just was even I was just curious. I'm, I'm always interested in like how people communicate to each other. And I'm interested in that world of improv, which I have not done Um Certainly not as a performer. Um, I'm, I'm interested. Like, what's the communication they're getting? Uh, what are the, what, what form do the notes take and how different are they maybe from what a director in a scripted show would give, right? Oh, like after the show. Yeah, after the show. So I eavesdropped. I eavesdropped. And, but one of the things that, that blew me away was he said, you know, uh, but you got some big laughs. And, and then I started coughing. And I'm sure they just thought I had coronavirus, but I almost <laughs> choked because I sat in that show. I didn't count any big laughs. Hmm. I, I didn't hear any big laughs. Uh, but maybe they, maybe to him, they sounded like big laughs, in which case, wow, I'm glad I didn't go on any other nights. So did, did your coughing sound anything like a bullshit? <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say, well, yeah, the, the, <sighs> I've, I used to do uh, improv in a group. Uh, started in '93 um, when I was 19, and for the next, I think, 
what was it, four years? So like 97, eh, a little bit into 98. I did uh, various, uh, with the theater sports, I kind of moved into doing uh, long-form improv, uh, like the Herald and whatnot, uh, locally. Uh, mostly Herald, not so much whatnot. And um, it's the, the notes are just... Like, um, they're usually fairly encouraging, I find, because it's just more like, um, it's pointing out, like, if a person blocked an offer, it's like, because it usually is something that they remember because they made an offer and they're they're more likely to remember (laughs) that something didn't go right. And the note would be like, well, I I understand where you, I understand how that can happen, and I I guess that that didn't end up being what the scene was going to be about, and uh, it's just, um, I'm not sure if it was a block or not. And actually, mostly it ends up being questions for whoever's the leader. It's like, did that, did that, do you think that that transition worked out okay? Because I thought it sucked, but um, people seem to roll with it. Did I make things harder for you? You know, (laughs) it's any of these things. Just a very supportive environment, generally speaking, as long as you got a good group of people, because some people really like to steal the spotlight. It's called shining, I believe. And uh, not to be confused with the uh, telepathy that's in Stephen King's stories. Oh, but maybe that's what it's about. Subtextually, it's about improv. Could be. Yeah, that's so. not. It's not about alcohol abuse. It's about improv, <laughs> which is a different kind of drug and far more deadly. Oh, yes. Um, yes. But when you refer to these people who try to steal the spotlight, it's okay. You can mention Dean. He's not here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... Uh, uh, yeah, that's funny. I I, uh, I remember seeing him do a bit of improv with uh, Zach Beggins in a YouTube video that I saw years and years ago. That was pretty fun. Um, I wish I could get out and see more improv, but uh, there's not a lot of it here uh, anymore. Um, there's a couple of groups, I think. Um, you know, there's a lot of time at home uh, with the kid. It's, it's necessary <laughs> with the kid. That's your, that's improv in and of itself. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. and it's yeah. important. You know, it's he's a he's a wonderful little guy and I want to make sure I'm here for him, you know, and so he knows who I am. So, you know, I hear that's important. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I hear, where do you hear that from? Um, I just, I don't know. And my, my, in inner, the, my conscience, in the, in the notes, you hear that in the notes that are being delivered by, uh, to, to, uh, improv team after, uh, yeah. coming, coming in over my earpiece. It's, it's like, <laughs> stay there. It's one of, it's one of the notes Hershon left behind in the captain's chair. <laughs> it's like, make sure you pay attention to your kid. They're like, yeah, of course I will. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was, uh, there in the, uh, delivery room. I went through that whole experience. That was pretty amazing. It's an ongoing, oh. amazing experience. So that's cool. I was thrown for a little bit of a loop that I I dropped a reference to Mark Hershon and then we were in a delivery room all of a sudden. That was uh, huh. that was a whip that was a whiplash for me. Oh yeah, sorry. I uh, <laughs> well yeah, it's just the yeah, I thought it was weird to to um, make the note have anything to do with that because the timing was around the same. The timing was it was not the timing of the. The joke, or not the joke, the, the reference I delivered, but the actual timing of taking over the Succotash <laughs> show, if it can be called that, and uh, if it can be called taking over, and uh, having a child. So the two yeah, kind of true. Yeah, in a very short period of time of each, uh, between each other. Well, then, so I know that Succotash is going on a hiatus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, after episode 200. I certainly hope that's not the case with the child as well. Oh, no, I hope not. No. Uh, okay. 
So they're not they're not hereafter going to be linked in the same way. No, they're not uh, Corsican twins or whatever the uh, reference is. One goes, the other goes, or one gets hurt, the other feels pain. Uh, no, although Jareth does make an appearance in uh, at least one of the episodes, an appearance. See, that's another one of those visual words taught with a with a audio medium. Uh, basically, I was recording my uh, my. Uh, host audio, I guess you could say, my host segments, and uh, he was kind of like dozing in the room, and then occasionally he'd make a, a, a noise, and then once or twice I decided, I'll just leave that in. It's it's kind of cute, and uh, good, yeah. So <laughs> so it's I'm glad they did that because it, it gave my mother a reason to listen to my show. <laughs> well, there used to be boozing with Bill. Is there still boozing with Bill? There uh, hasn't been one made in a while, but they are. I understand they are working on it. They do want to do something in the future, and they they did actually do a brand new Henderson's pants spot. So that's that's something. So uh, well, it, uh, it it's certainly been supplanted. Boozing with Bill has been supplanted by snoozing with your son. Snoozing with son. That's funny. Um, yeah. See, that's the problem. As I said, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Laughing. That's funny. Yeah, no, I knew that it wasn't funny. It you know funny. how I knew? You know how I knew it wasn't funny was because you said it was funny. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, that's the problem with it. Does you know it is funny? There are people. I've seen people. Uh, they when they're on the stage, there's this whole thing. Like they get they they can't stand the silent spots. So I mean, like uh, they'll 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 panic and attack the crowd. Like right. <laughs> Right after like the third silence, if it's just not you know enough of a chuckle, and and the thing is, is a lot of people at open mics they're listening, and that's when you listen, you don't necessarily laugh and react, but you're listening, we're intently listening, we're looking, we're all looking at you, we're all nodding yeah, our heads, yeah. we're here with you, <laughs> we're we're excited, but then you know people are like, and then it was my mother. Okay, so that you didn't you didn't like that. Okay, well, anyway, so well, and then they move on to the next thing. It's like no, but just give it, just relax, dude. Relax, relax. Well, then it's like you know, how can you you know? That's not the perhaps the best place to relax uh, when you're on a stage with a lot of people talking or looking at you. But there are worse places. I mean, I think um, public speaking probably uh, stimulates that part of the brain that uh, if there is such a thing as what's that called when things are passed on from generation to generation, uh, like um, in, in, a, in a psychic sort of way. Um, oh, epigenetics. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. So maybe it's an epigenetic thing for like when people used to have to stand up in front of crowds and beg for their lives and like plead their case and whatnot. So like the public speaking is sort of like, touches that nerve in some way. Um, you know, I mentioned my friend Tucker earlier. He, uh, decorated war veteran, uh, you know, killed, killed in action in Vietnam. Sheep pulled last rites given. And then, uh, a young doctor said, wait a minute, bring him back here. Um, a character in, in apocalypse now is based on him. Oh, wow. Um, but he, uh, was the first, uh, African American director in live television back in Baltimore before the Vietnam War. Oh. And he said, uh, to me that the only thing that is comparable to the immediacy of being under enemy fire is jumping out of an airplane and that moment on live television 
where they point at you and say, we're on in five, four, three, two, that they feel physically the same, those moments. Oh, wow. So that's a little bit what you're describing, right? That there's, there's, uh, our body knows that it's under attack, that, uh, you know, we're, the, the, death is in the offing here. If, if we if we don't find our way out of it, um, it's it's those moments that show us what we're made of, you know, and that's it with improv, with stand up, uh, with taking the stage, with it just being you and a mic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, comedy. Yes. Stand up. You write your material. That's true. That is a big difference. But the truth is, in any kind of live performance setting, the art of it is about embracing what wants to come forward. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what stands in the way of what wants to come forward is what you have prepared, right? Um, Even even in acting, you know, you do all this preparation, ideally, so that you can let go of the preparation and really embrace what wants to come forward. Um, But you have to, but you have to prepare enough so that you've activated those parts of the brain that seek control and that can stand in your way in the moment. I don't know. I got really, I got really philosophical in a way that made me just hear so many Succotash listeners turning to other podcasts. <laughs> I like that people uh, still refer to that as if it's a thing, like um, the idea that they could tune out and go somewhere else. Um, like uh, Todd Glass used to say, the the show comes out. It's it's on uh, Fridays, right after Mark Maron, you know, and it's Mark Maron's podcast. But you, know, you can listen whenever you want. So it's like, but uh, that's his running gag. Um, also, you know, I I found uh, early on uh, there's this kind of uh, some people, some podcasters are give off this vibe like they don't like that other they that they literally think of other people uh, other people's podcasts as competition in the same way that say a radio program would be like a live radio program which it's just not you can listen to a podcast whenever you want to so i mean you don't have to go uh, oh you know what no i'd rather listen to this thing that's happening at exactly the same time which is you know the thinking so it's like no 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 no. you can it's not that kind of competition it's a community i mean that's how i prefer to think of it anyway so that's my well i think i think i think that's a very healthy way to look at it tyson Yay. I, 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 I just, I felt like it's important before you go on hiatus to give you some uh, affirmation. Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, I can always, <laughs> I can always use the affirmation. I, can, I take it um, heartily and happily. Hey, Sekatash, this is Darren from Couch Revisited, previously known as Dylan Brody's Neighbors Couch. Just want to thank you guys for all of your support over the years for our podcast and all of the other podcasts that you guys cover. It means the world to me. I'm sad that you guys are going on hiatus, but I hope you come back soon. It's been a joy working with all of you through the years. Well, thank you very much, Darren. Thank you for your kind words and your contributions to Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast over the years. We appreciate it all a great deal. By the way, folks, you can find Darren Staley of Couch Revisited on Twitter at Crobama, that is C-R-O-B-A-M-A. Dylan Brody can be found at D-Y-L-A-N-B-R-O-D-Y. And you can listen to the show on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever fine soundcasts are available. Also, you can go to their main website, which is apparently www.activevoiceproductions.com. That is A-C-T-I-V-E-V-O-I-C-E-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N-S.com. 
And here's the final part of my interview of producer Phil Lernis of Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Coming up later, a few parting words from executive producer Mark Hirschhorn as we discuss the past, present, and potential future of the show, and perhaps at least one startling revelation within. So um, stay tuned. All right, uh, Tyson, lightning round. Uh, hmm. What should you have asked me that you haven't? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, let's see here. How, how is Fuzz Aldrin? Oh, my goodness. Fuzz Aldrin is uh, next to me, is purring, is the picture of health. Fuzz Aldrin will be at the uh, – God, is it possible that she's eight years old now? Possible. Eight and a half. She She's eight and a half. Oh, my goodness. It's a theme emerging. She's eight and a half years old. And uh, she is soon in June going to uh, – going to be taking her first uh, airplane trip with me. Oh. We're gonna we're gonna let her come on the plane with us, and she's gotten a clear bill of health to fly. So she's, uh, yeah, she's a rock star. That's fantastic. That's good. That's good. How how, how is how is this, this is a silly question? I mean, uh, how, how is married life? It is uh, a ball buster from the word go. No, it <laughs> is. Uh, it's terrific. It uh, from the very beginning, you know, I was uh, I was together with my lady love for a good uh, 11 years, I think, at least before we got married, 12, almost 12, 11 and a half years. Um, and I was shocked at how deeply getting married transformed everything, how much focus it brought in in terms of what really mattered and what's really important. And uh, so it. uh it really felt like getting uh, getting shot out a portal into uh, into a world where everything was transformed. Yeah. So there's there's that. Yeah. I yeah absolutely. I um, I agree. I mean I I got, I got married back in 2003, um, and yeah, it is really it's one of those things. It's that really does it transforms everything in ways you don't. Uh, you, you can't even you cannot plan for um, much actually now like the new uh, the new uh, the new journey is having the child uh, and that as far as a priority refocuser is hugely effective <laughs> at creating that uh, that that reality and I and there's nothing I would change about that <laughs> it's 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 uh, it's fantastic in the best way. And it's just the next, it's the next step, you know, and that's, and in a fantastic way. Sorry, I guess. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I didn't ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, how long had you known your wife before you got married? How long? How long? Uh, going to say less than a year. Oh my goodness! See, quite the quite the opposite sort of experience. Yeah, it was more or less a whirlwind romance, as they say, um, as one would say. Um, I had, yeah, I'd met her briefly, and then we kind of had mutual friends, and then we started kind of showing up at the same places together, and then there were opportunities to talk and get to know one another, and then it just kind of coalesced and became a thing. I um yeah. uh, I w I knew 
very quickly after I started dating Lily that uh, I was going to marry her, introduced her to some of my key friends and said, this is who I'm going to marry. And I knew it. And then they all figured that I had just changed my mind uh, because so many years went by and it didn't happen. And what really had happened was uh, this odd knowing came over me which was I had sort of gotten to the age where I wondered, well, maybe this is just not going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. And then when it did, what came over me was this sense of, oh, well, then this is the last time I'm going to be somebody's boyfriend. I would like to actually be good at this. Yes. And then when we got engaged, you know, I want to take our time with this because I would like to really learn how to be a good fiance and what this means and to really savor every step along the way and really take my time. And the beautiful thing about it ended up being that um, people were so excited, like her family was so excited to welcome me to the family uh, soon after we had started dating. And then they, too, had kind of given up on any idea that we were ever going to actually have a a wedding or any kind of marriage. Hmm. So that when it did end up happening that we got engaged, it surprised everyone so much more than it would have when we first fell in love. Uh, And and so the celebration was just um, enormous because it was so long in coming and – And that was really quite uh, delightful and surprising because I half wondered, well, you know, maybe the attitude will be, oh, well, you guys are kind of already married. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, but it was, it was nice. And, and I think it was, you know, your experience was so different than mine in terms of the amount of time. And I think it was, it's nice for people to know that, it can happen any number of ways. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no real one perfect template for, uh, I don't want to say success, but, you know, whatever it is, it's certainly sustaining. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess it is technically success. I don't understand why I have to beat myself up over little things like that. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. All one, right. Put one in the wind column. So, so is there anything else that we need to discuss? Is there anything else on tonight's agenda? Gosh, you know, um, I, I, you know, I would like to, I guess, uh, thank you for uh, the support that you've shown the show over the years. Um, I just listened to the first episode recently, um, like today. I re-listened to the first Succotash just to kind of get an idea of what the show sounded like before I crossed paths with it. Um, I also listened to this week's um, chill pack Hollywood hour. And, uh, my listenership had fallen off in a while, I must admit. So I wanted to, uh, extend my condolences on the passing of your mother. I had not actually heard about it till earlier today. Yeah, that's, that's been a drag. Uh, boy, uh, grief is a land with no roadmap. Mm. It, uh, there is no easy way through this. And, uh, it's so important for people when they lose a loved one, uh, when a loved one dies, to really take care of yourself. Uh, because, man, uh, grief, like I said, it's all I know about him is he's a mugger in an alley waiting to pounce. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, that's been a rough one. But uh, I encourage you to listen, uh, Tyson, and I encourage everyone to listen to this coming week's show. Um, I think it's episode 16 of season two, um, where we welcome it's a, it's a, it's a full show. 
the first half, we welcome as a special guest uh, Emmy Sunshine. Emmy Sunshine was a true prodigy, uh, a singer-songwriter who, before she was 10, mm -hmm. had already gained national attention, had performed at the Grand Ole Opry. She's now at the ripe old age of 15, <laughs> about to release an album called uh, Family Wars uh, with her band Emmy Sunshine in the Rain. And this uh, music is so great. She, again, at all of 15, has dedicated her career to kind of being a, uh, a counter to popular country music. She's indeed a very soulful and skillful purveyor of a genre best described as Americana. And uh, she's spectacular. And anyway, Dean uh, interviewed her there in Detroit for the first part of the show. And it's such an inspiring uh, interview. And then the second half of the show, Dean reviews The Invisible Man. And, uh, and like I mentioned, we, uh, we discuss the legacy of Max von Sydow. And I share a hilarious story uh, with um, one of the most successful, for a while, one of the most successful black screenwriters in Hollywood, who in fact uh, was a white man. So um, oh. it's a it's it's a full brew on this coming week's show, Chill Pack Hollywood Hour on Odyssey Radio and iHeart Radio. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. And which what was the number of that show again? Because this will come out probably um, a little bit after it's aired, I imagine. Yeah, it's Chill Pack Hollywood Hour season two. Episode 16, you can get it at chillpackhollywood.com, on iTunes, wherever good podcasts can be found, Tyson. Certainly. Uh, okay, I, I definitely look forward to that. I'm going to be, I'll be listening, because um, uh, I'm definitely having more time to listen to uh, podcasts that I want to listen to now that I'm not putting together a podcast made up of other people's podcasts anymore for a while. Um, so yes, it gives me a chance to catch back up on things that I've been missing, including, including Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, unfortunately, which was and continues to be one of my favorite, uh, podcasts or soundcasts, as we still tend to call them over here. <laughs> that's very, that's very kind. And it is sort of the tragic irony, isn't it? That you got into the position you were because you enjoy listening to such a wide array of soundcasts and yet taking on that position stands in the way of listening to such a wide array of soundcasts. It is, it is absolutely, uh, irony, uh, and I guess somewhat tragic, but yes, I will have to agree with that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you ever do happen to watch thugs of Hindustan, please let me know what you think of it because I'd love to discuss it. If you hate it or if you love it, <laughs> I will, will do. You'll be the first to know. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, Tyson, and Mark, in fact. Hi, it's Davian from um, Strange Times and Twitter Sound and an increasingly decreasing voice. Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's Corona, maybe it's just Gin and Tremeldoll. Who can tell? Not me, that's for sure. Um, anyway, guys, uh, I can't begin to tell you how much I appreciate all the... Um, support that uh, Succotash has uh, given strange times I really hope that this hiatus is a positive one and as much as 
that it's used for regrouping and uh, for, more importantly, a return of uh, possibly one of the most important and finest podcasts that there is, Suckatash. All great bands have a hiatus, and I think that should uh, extend to a great podcast, of which Suckatash clearly is one. It's going to have a hiatus, and it's going to come back with um, the same, pretty much, hopefully, uh, lineup. Um, and playing a healthy mix of the hits that you like, plus with new stuff in it. Succotash, please come back sooner rather than later. Thank you, Damien. I do hope your voice has recovered since you sent in that lovely bit of audio. I've enjoyed listening to Strange Times podcast over the years and have even enjoyed a guest appearance or two. None other than Succotash's own Bill Haywatt does announcing for Strange Times, including the disclaimer at the top of pretty much every episode I've ever heard. I do hope Strange Times podcast continues for as long as it brings you and others joy. You can follow Davian Dent on Twitter at D-A-V-I-A-N-D-E-N-T. You can find Kat Sorens at, and this is all lowercase, just like the previous one, M-A-B-V-U-K-U. You may or may not be able to reach him at that Twitter account. Dom Risk uh, is at D-O-M-R-I-S-K, all lowercase letters. And the show can be found at capital S-T-R-A-N-G-E, capital T, capital S-H-O-W. And the show can be found at strangetimeshow.com. This episode of Suckatash is sponsored in part by TrumpPoetry.com, a chronological ode to a fake muse. Enjoy a rhyming spin on the news of the day every day, as well as over 500 archived daily verses thoroughly covering the White House, America, and the world with a sticky caramel coating that's impossible to remove. That's TrumPoetry.com. Everything you need to know in rhyming couplets. TrumpPoetry. Yes, TrumpPoetry.com. Um, you know, so many good ones this April. I had to pick the one from the 7th of April, 2020. Number 288. You could suck at your work, an incompetent jerk, with an absence of qualifications. Your habits, disgust, tell a lie, break a trust, with an eye on more dark machinations. You can live as a fake who is just on the take, dig up women whose children you've sired. You can fuck, break, or lose any damn thing you choose, but make me look bad, and you're fired. For an ill-mannered fop can go straight to the top if he cops to whose bottom he's kissin'. He can rob, steal, or plunder, rip values asunder, and make his opponents go missin'. If you lack the right stuff, but you donate enough, you can brag to the world that you're wired. All the evidence shows that I'm not wearing clothes, but make me look bad, and you're fired. Right? Right. And let's get right back into it with the second half of my interview with Succotash, Comedy Soundcast Soundcast Executive Producer, Mark Hershon. We just released an episode of Antisocial Show that we recorded back in July of, of 2019 because uh, mm. that's how far back I've archived antisocial show episodes not being able to turn those out yeah. every week either so that one goes back to then and um, 
and that that was that was a good one actually. There's not much stuff came out of there, but again, it was kind of unpredictable. But that also had a camera involved, so there will be a video mm. version available of that uh, after I edit the video for episode seventy five through seventy nine, <laughs> which which post. <laughs> I used I was you know there was for a while there I was posting the show and the video of the show in the same week and then alternating that with Succotash and it was just bing bang boom and it was happening and then and it just started being more like bing bang mm. yes <laughs> boom <laughs> yeah I am. Um... Well, that was the problem I had with, with trying to you know I at one point I was determined to make Succotash a weekly show and I just you know, real life just kept in, impinging hmm. on the time to get it done. It's like, well, no, now I've got to do this thing for work, or now I'm on the road and I got to go to a meeting or whatever. Quite frankly, and, I'm starting to hate soundcasts. <laughs> I have to listen to these things. I have to listen to six of these, eight sometimes right? if I can't figure out you know, if there's a good clip in one of them. It's like, yeah. it seems my entire life is listening to soundcasts now. Oh wait, no, that's sorry. But, which fine. could be, which could be. When I was when I was doing reviews for both um, Split Cider and Huffington Post, it was great because I was sort of able to double up on everything. I could not only just listen for reviews, but I could find them and then use them for the show. Mm. So I was like cross promoting myself, which was fantastic. You know, I'd say on the show, here's here's the show I just reviewed for Vulture.com or for uh, or uh, Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, and then play it. So that was great. Oh, yeah. but again, it just became, it becomes overwhelming. And that's, I mean, that, that again is the idea of, okay, 850,000 shows. What purpose does, can a Succotash style show serve? Right. Why well, you know, Do we feature six shows and how do we pick them? And are they current? Are they past? Are they, what are they? And what do they mean in the scheme of things? Right. Because uh, we're not reviewing them. We don't really review the shows. We just sort of play them. Yeah. Just sort of say, oh, um, here's something uh, we think you might be entertained by as well. Or here is something that might be... Well, it's always... It, yeah, it's a, like you said, a Whitman sampler, the tasting plate. The uh, If you are looking for something to listen to, here is something that we can show you a part of, or have you listened to a part of, and... If you want to listen to more, you can find them at blah, 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 blah. And early on, I I remember I would play clips of shows that I thought were really just god-awful. And I would say it. And I'd just go, well, this is just so you know what else is out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it was kind of the five guys in a basement somewhere in the Midwest doing some, you didn't know where they were coming up with their ideas or what they meant or anything. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, well, you know what? I am playing these clips and I'm not asking people for permission to play them because right. that's its own pain in the ass. So the least I can do mm-hmm. is not disparage anybody and just let the clips live on their own and just go, Hey, here's, here's a clip from this interesting show that we found. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, that's, that's your business. <laughs> it becomes very, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, well, it's like I kept saying uh, comedy it's, is subjective. <laughs> it's, it's really, yes. it really is. Um, I mean, sure, there's a lot of universal things, um, mostly having to do with pain, but, uh, <laughs> but when I see the numbers, when I see the numbers, some shows get that I just, I can't believe that they're still going after dozens of episodes. Cause to me, they're just, 
I don't, I just don't find them entertaining, but clearly people do because they get great ratings. You know, I appreciate that you always, with only one exception, and I actually did want to talk about this at some point, uh, you always played the clips that I, I sent you. Uh, I don't think you ever really turned any of them down. There was one, and I don't blame you for this. I might have even brought this up, but it was, I, I, I don't think I explained it well enough. Uh, there was one show called John Eats Carrots. And while I was hunting for clips, I came across this show, and I, was, I don't understand what this is. And then what it was is it's a guy, kind of like on a camera, like we are, um, listening in a room. It's a video podcast, by the way, so I had to sample the sound, okay. which was a bit of a challenge back in the day. And um, he's sitting in a room, and he's not really looking at the camera. He's sort of looking off and um, listening to other people's podcasts and then eating his way through a small bag of baby carrots. So... <laughs> So it's just. And this is just, just goes on for, and not even the entire episode. So, like, I was like, well, how, which one am I going to listen to? Uh, how about this one where they do Four Eyes and a Beard? That's a show I've heard before. The one with Scott Mosier and Matt Myra. That, right, that right. should be fun. So I'm like, oh, it's one I've heard. Well, that's okay. I'll listen to it. And it's, it's, just, it's just him, just listening to the podcast and kind of nodding. Occasionally he'll snicker. <laughs> and he'll just keep eating baby carrots. I think until the bag is gone. I think that was his thing. So he just okay. keep eating them until the bag is gone. And Can I spurn that. I spurn that clip. Yeah. Well, I don't blame you because I really didn't describe what was happening well enough. And it was one of those ones you kind of have to know what's happening. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. You're just kind of hearing kind of like crappy audio on a podcast and crunching. You know, <laughs> the one thing people claim to hate more than anything is hearing people eat on the microphone. <laughs> oh yeah, which is hilarious because the first um, the first non dress rehearsal episode of Succotash had uh, Mike and Tom eat snacks on it, which is basically oh yes them talking and eating. Is that show still going? No, it, they they got to one hundred episodes and bailed. One hundred and done hundred. Ever to get to. It, it took him forever to get to that hundredth episode because I was I was an avid fan. Oh, that's funny. Of Mike, Mike and Tom, and uh, they got to ninety nine, and then I think eight months later they did episode one hundred, <laughs> and then that was it. They've never, as far as I know, they've never come back. I even clipped one of those as well because I I found one where um, they were eating um, some kind of avocado salsa or something, and then uh, yes. I guess it's Mike. It, no, no, allergic no, it was reaction. Tom. Tom had the allergic reaction. He's like, well, this is interesting. This comes up now, but um, I've got a bit of an allergy. And you can hear him like kind of start to go, hum, hum. Um, I think uh, hmm, this could, this is alarming. I can't remember exactly, but it was pretty funny. And I think I think it was homemade. They had somebody come in and actually make the the guacamole in the studio. They did, if I remember correctly. They did. They did. That's right. Just fantastic. So funny um, and bizarre. Like, why? Why would they? You know, why? Why would you? You know. Don't, don't it's know. for the views. It's not even all for views. the spec. All for the spectacle. The the aural the spectacle. Yeah. I like to think we've done some good with the so. show in terms in terms of raising awareness of shows that are out there and giving people an entertaining way to listen to them. Um, I mean, I sure enjoy doing things like the Anderson's pants ads and some of the other nonsense that I would do with Joe Polino uh, and uh, Bill Haywatt, particularly uh, uh, doing the, the drinking segment with Bill. Oh, Boozing with uh, Bill, yeah. Boozing with Bill. Was, and that was actually suggested by uh, the guy that's the publisher of the newspaper I do uh, 
uh, editorial cartoons for because he he would listen to Succotash all the time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, it always sounds like Bill's half half in the bag. You guys should do like some sort of segment. That's pretty. And so I mentioned mentioned that to Bill, and you know what I? Uh, so we did that. Um, but uh, it's funny you had Phil on because I was just going to say, you know what? I think we should. This is our 200th episode. We're going into our hiatus, mm-hmm. and I think I think a lot of people probably already know this listen to the show. But I think we should maybe pull the curtain back a little bit, okay. the show behind the scenes, and let people know that. Now you can cut this out if you want. But I want people to know mm-hmm. that Bill Haywatt and Joe Polino are one in the same. What? <laughs> <laughs> but the funniest thing was I had Phil Lerness was, I think I told you this story. Phil Lerness was live in the studio mm. uh, when we were in Joe Polino's home studio mm-hmm. up in Sausalito, mm. uh, Northern California. And Studio uh, P. Studio P, home of the hit. And uh, so he, uh, Joe's behind the, the glass. I mean, he's got a, a professional studio in his house yeah. right and he's behind the glass running the board and uh it's time for bill haywatt to come in and do a, i think we were doing a live boozing with bill um or it could have been a live henderson's pants read i can't remember what it was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was boozing with bill and he comes in i mean joe disappears and then comes into the studio where phil and i are now he's got this crappy wig on and this really loud sport coat as we've often depicted Bill is wearing Mm -hmm. and Phil could not believe they were the same people because I mean that's funny uh, Joe is a professional voice actor and can do great characters and he'd never figured Phil had never figured out they were both the same person that's great Uh, (laughs) Phil while I was talking to him for the uh, for the chat he actually asked if there was going to be another Booze with Bill forthcoming Uh, and I said "I, Mm. I really don't know I really don't know. I assume that there might be. Um, uh, certainly in the future there will be. I think uh, if I hadn't seen so many recipes for it, I think it would have been the op- optimum opportunity to have gone out with a quarantini mm, ooh, in, honor of, uh, yeah, in honor of uh, the coronavirus. Hmm. Would it be orange? Uh, sure. it, it probably would be orange. It probably would have corona in it. Ooh. Ooh. You know, Bill? Orange corona. Um, probably... And vodka. And vodka. And Lord knows what else. Uh, Grand Marnier. Uh, Perhaps. And some sort of cough medicine. He loved putting just one weird thing in. He made one that was had barbecue sauce in it one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys, now, did you, you guys actually drank a couple of those mixtures, actually, right? We, we did them live, and he made me drink every single one of them that we made. Okay, because if not, that was fantastic uh, uh, drink acting, because it sounded like <laughs> yeah. you drank them. One of them was like a wolf, a wolf, spritz, wolf spritzer? Yes, the wolf, split, the wolf spritzer, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was also uh, one of them, one of them, I don't remember what it was called, but I do recall it not being that bad. <laughs> You actually did you make them, or you just remembered we just said they weren't that. Bad. I, you said it where they weren't that bad. Like, oh, it's not too bad. It was like kind of a had some bitters. A couple in them, of I think. them. Couple of them. I think that was the Wolf Blitzer because there was some sort of Wolfensteiny mm. kind of bitters or something. But there were a couple that were actually really good, but most of them were just hideous and probably not fit for human consumption. Quite frankly, funny. <laughs> I love stuff like that. 
you know, I just it's been a pleasure having uh, having you uh, filling the host's position. Oh well, um, I'm honored that I was chosen to uh, attempt to carry the show forward for a while. <laughs> oh no, you've you've done a fantastic job, and and you did a great job as the associate producer, finding clips, cutting clips, Thank representing you. the show in fine fashion. I appreciate that. Um, and I just think uh, I think once we get a chance to kind of sit back and figure out what the next decade of Succotash should be, mm-hmm. dare I be so bold. Uh, not that we actually made it to a decade, but pretty damn close. Pretty damn um, close. Um, I think it'll be great. And we've talked about things, uh, about doing some improv stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would even be part of Succotash. Maybe that'd be a different, different podcast. It's hard to say. Um, I've been working on putting together a show uh, called Happiness or Something Like It, which is about mental health mm-hmm. and wellness and self-care, basically. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So Sounds sounds like it would help more people than Succotash has, quite frankly. <laughs> it's so hard to say. I wish there was a way to track the numbers. I wish, wish, wish there was more feedback. You know, I mean, Well, there used to be a lot of feedback on the show. and the, On the iTunes, it's full of uh, good ratings, you know, so that's good. Yeah. It's got to count yeah, for something. It does. It does. But we never really made a solid push at trying to get sponsorship. Uh, because of the nature of the show, I think it kept networks from wanting to pick us up. Hmm. Because we were featuring shows that were clearly would not be on the network. Um, which is probably why we don't really hear shows like Succotash out there. Hmm. Um, I, there's probably a few. Um, I've not been tracking them. So we'll see what... We'll see what the future will bring. You and I will keep in touch, and we'll figure out what to do. Like I said, I'm determined to keep the feed open okay. so it doesn't close up on us like some sort of a bad scar. <laughs> yeah. Like a hungry Venus flytrap. Yes, exactly. Okay. Beautiful. Well, that's good to hear. When you close off the show, have our email addresses. So if people want to reach out and give us suggestions or shout-outs or tell us something, uh, they can. I'll, I'll put it into the blog, mm-hmm. um, so it's there. Not that I don't know if anybody ever goes to the blog, but it's there for every episode. And at uh, secretashshow dot com. The blog is at secretashshow dot com. Okay, yeah. Uh, but but our email address, they can comment on on the at the blog space if they want. That's, okay. I think every show has a comment section. So not that anybody, the only comments we have ever gotten have been people uh, like manufacturers from China trying to get us to uh, buy things. Oh. So I cut those out. They never make it to, to the web. I put a, uh, I put a link to, I put that, that uh, www.secretashshow.com at the end of every um, episode of Tyson Sainer Gamer. Well, thank you. That's perfect. It's great. So people have watched to the there. end to, to see it, but it's there. It's, there's links it's to... worth waiting for. Yeah, it's worth so. waiting for. <laughs> so there, there's that. Just trying to, you know, so I also, that's why I appreciate the, uh, the promotion of it because it's, it's, it's also serves as a commercial for anti-social show gaming outside my comfort zone, which is my wife's program, which you can find on the oh, website. Uh, sorry. Find on the, <laughs> on the YouTube channel, Sexy Laura Twenty Seven Games, uh, and then I'll spell that later, of course. Well, why wouldn't I spell it now? Capital S E X X. That's two X's. <laughs> y. Capital L A U R A. The numeral two. The numeral seven. Capital G A M E S. Sexy Laura Twenty Seven Games, um, and then Succotash Show is also on there. And then I do say, alternately, you can go to www.succotashshow.com because it starts with. 
tysonsaner.com and then it's like you'll find links to these two things and you can also go to oh, the, their own sites but the image is there I always use the Sakatash image at the thing lovely yeah lovely. throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks basically gotta do it yeah. cross promotion so there we go ah jeez yeah 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 alright Tyson well I will let you uh, get back to your evening already in progress right. Hunter and, says uh, hi <laughs> hello Hunter uh, my wife Laura says hi Hi, Laura. Jareth says something that sounds like hi. All right. Hello, Jared. <laughs> yeah, he has actually started saying hi now. And, yeah. oh, that's fantastic. That's the best. Yeah. I love it. It's, yeah, it's really great. It really is the best. It, it is. It is the actual I love best. Seeing, I, hmm. I love seeing the pictures of him up on the uh, social medias. Oh, yeah. Um, Laura puts more on hers than I do on mine, but uh, it's, it's fine uh, because she's better at... Uh, at that, as far as putting pictures of him up, I'll put up one occasionally on mine. Um, I certainly take a lot of pictures. I mean, lots of pictures, lots bit. of film. Uh, well, well, it's not film. Uh, <laughs> lots of video. video. Lots of video. You can call it film if you want. I still call movies films. I'll be, I'm going to rent See? a film. Yeah, it's like, that's, 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 <laughs> anyway. Well, I'm glad we were able to put our conversation on tape here tonight. Yes, yeah, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, thank you, thank you for creating the show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. And um, uh, you know, this this is 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 not farewell. It's only no, that's not how it goes. This is uh, <laughs> this isn't. It's not. This far is it. Gone. It's not it's goodbye. Only... It's not goodbye. It's just see you later. So see you later. Something like sure. Something like that. Why not? Yeah, I like that. All right. All right. Very good. Nice. And we'll be talking. Thank all the listeners for listening and uh, enjoying the show or not enjoying the show, however their reaction is. Sure. Thank them for passing the succotash. Perfect. Yes. Please pass the succotash. Please. Please pass the succotash. (laughs) I really don't know what else to add at this point. It's been a fun ride over these last nine years since the show began, and eight years of my involvement. I feel like going on too much at this point might be gratuitous. Mostly, I'd just like to thank everyone here at Suckatash for making the show what it has been throughout the years. Scott Carvey's theme music, Bill Haywatch's mellifluous announcing, Henderson's pants, and TrumpPoetry.com's fake sponsorship. All the soundcasters who had interesting ideas that they took the time to record and publish so they might one day be listened to by us here at Suckatash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast, and anyone else who might be in search of something to listen to. And of course, Mark Hershon's creation of the show in the first place. Mostly, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to make Suckatash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast, part of your listening life. Even if you're only listening to this episode. Well, of course you are. You wouldn't be able to hear this otherwise. So... For Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast, I've been Tyson Sainer, saying farewell and gis posta, and reminding you that we've got at least 200 episodes in the archive, which you can find at www.succotashshow.com. It's S-U-C-C-O-T-A-S-H-S-H-O-W. And you can still email Mark Hershon at mark at Succotash Show. Same spelling of Succotash Show as before, and Mark is with a C at the end, M-A-R-C. So if you wouldn't mind terribly, I'd like very much to remind you to please... Pass the succotash.
You've been listening to Suckatash Chats, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Tyson Sainer. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants, TrumPoetry.com, and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on Donder, on Blitzen, on iHeartRadio, and on... <laughs> a laughable app. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at TysonSainer at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our toll call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us by using our direct upload link at Hightail.com slash you slash Suckatash. Production of Suckatash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, hosted by Tyson Saner. Our executive producer is Mark Hershon. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash. Goodbye. Goodbye.